0: So many of you know that uh, right now we find ourselves in the middle of March Madness. The NCAA Tournament uh, is up and running. It's moving. And one of the sidebar conversations this year, like there was two years ago, was what's up with Loyola University of Chicago Ramblers, right? They made it to the Sweet 16. They weren't supposed to. Their run came to an end yesterday against Oregon State. But one of the things that was part of the lore of Loyola University is their chaplain, Sister Jean, who's 101 years old, who prays for the team and carries them along and, and meets with them before and after the games. And one of the things the sportscasters ask the question is what gets Loyola to the Sweet 16? Is it their basketball skill or is it divine intervention? Because if we're honest and look at the skill, it's like, come on, you know? There has to be some divine intervention going on. And so what is it? Is it their skill and human effort, or is it God making, uh, bringing his power and empowering them? And it's just basketball, I get that. But when I look it over, it reminds me of a question that Christians have asked for thousands of years. People who follow Jesus Christ and want to grow in him have asked this question for thousands of years, and the question is, how do you grow spiritually spiritually? How do you grow spiritually? Because there's no doubt that there's a God part where God comes and does his work within us and helps us grow, but there's also a human part that we put forth effort, we put forth time and prayer and reading the Bible and worshiping. So how do you grow spiritually? Is it the chicken and the egg thing? How much is God? How much is us? And I'm so excited that the passage of Scripture we're going to look at Today, Jesus addresses this very thing. He talks about how we grow spiritually, how we as human beings get closer to God. There's a longing in the heart of every human being, whether they know it or not, to be close to their Maker, to be close to their Creator. There's this longing, and we fill that longing with all sorts of things. But the child of God, the follower of Jesus, is instructed in a way that they can have a fulfilling, life-giving, spiritually fruitful and growing relationship with God. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open to the book of Mark. We're in a series called The Maze as we look at the book of Mark, and we're going to look at chapter 4, and I'm going to focus on verses 1 to 32. You can follow along in your Bible or your Bible app or the Church Center app as well. And in this text, Jesus gives us three things. He gives us a teaching on spiritual growth. He describes the human part of spiritual growth. And then he describes the God part of spiritual growth. The teaching, the human part, and the God part, we're going to look at all three. So let's look first at his teaching, which is in verses 1 to 12. I'm going to start off by reading verses 1 to 9 of Mark chapter 4. It says, Again he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down, while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore. He taught them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly, but since the soil wasn't deep, uh, grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came out, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Let anyone who wants to dive into the deeper things of God, hear and listen. In this parable, Jesus describes what spiritual growth is like. Galilee, the town he grew up, was known as one of the epicenters for agricultural happenings going on in the day. And he starts this parable, this story, and he talks about the sower. The sower is Jesus himself. And the seed he's putting out there is the word of God, the gospel. We're going to get into that more in a second. The seed goes to various places with various results. Verse 4 says, along the path, you see, In our context where we live, paths and sidewalks go around the fields of farmers. But in the ancient day where Jesus was talking, oftentimes a walking path would go right through the middle of a farmer's field. So when they casted seed in the field to grow, some of it would go on to the path. Then he talks about how there's this one seed that takes root, the plant grows, and then dies right away. Because in this area, there were spots where there was limestone under the ground, and so the topsoil would be very, very shallow, and so a seed would get in that topsoil, it would uh, have water, what it, what it would need to sprout and grow, but because that limestone was there, it couldn't go down and take root, so it just died off. Then there were the thorns, these weeds that would choke out seeds as they started to grow. And then in verse 8, he talks about a threefold yield, where he says these Uh, Seas increased 30, 60, 100 times. And I think it's interesting how it's in contrast to the three bad soils. So the good soil produces three times the crop to the three bad soils. This whole thing is all about growing spiritually. It's a story, a parable, a lesson, an analogy on how we bear spiritual fruit as Christians. And so there's some principles in this teaching I want to bring up some key lessons for us to look at first of all number one there's a variety of responses to the seed the same seed goes out just like a preacher would come here and preaches the same passage to many different people and the responses are all different some of you have come up to me after i preach and said you've been watching me all week how did you know what i'm dealing with you were preaching to me some people will come in, they'll hear this and say, this is all garbage, I'm getting out of here. There's different responses when the word of God is taught and preached, and that's what Jesus is saying. He's going to get into why in a second. The second key lesson is spiritual growth is responding to the work and the person of Jesus. It's opening our heart to who Jesus is and embracing him and bringing him in. Number three, there is a connect between individual growth and kingdom growth. We don't just grow individually just for our own personal benefit. But when we as followers of Jesus grow personally and we grow deeper in our faith and then we go out to our spheres of influence, we go out to the people uh, that are closest around us, His kingdom is expanded. His purposes prevail where we live, where we work, where we hang out. The kingdom of God comes Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven happens when we as his followers grow deeper into our walk with him. And finally, number four, like farming, there's a human part and there's a God part. There's a human part and there's a God part. The farmer plants the seeds takes care of the ground, takes care of the environment, works really, really hard to make sure that he's going to get a plant that's going to produce fruit. But there's a mystery to the growth of the plant. God does his thing. He causes the seed to germinate, to sprout, to turn into a plant. The same thing is true with us spiritually. Now, some of you might be here and you might be a little confused saying, how could you say there's a human part to spiritual growth? Because I was always taught that when it comes to giving our lives to Jesus Christ, it's not through anything we do, it's not through any merits that we bring, but solely through the grace of God. And now you're talking about a human part. Well, you have to remember, we're talking about two different things. When we first come to Christ, before we have a relationship with Jesus, and we learn what Jesus did for us on the cross by dying for our sins and inviting us into a relationship with Him, we come to Him and we bring nothing to the table. It's all grace. What he did on the cross to die for our sin, to give us eternal life, to bring us into a relationship with him, is all about him and what he has done. We can't add to that. We're not going to heaven because of our good efforts. We're not going to heaven because of our good merit. We simply come and receive the gift of Jesus Christ, and then we have new life. But as soon as that happens, that's called justification, That's what the theologians call it. As soon as we are justified, as soon as we are made righteous, then we begin a journey to grow spiritually, to get to know Him. And in that journey, when we walk, we are in concert with our efforts and the Holy Spirit, a human part and a God part. We pray, we read the Bible, we worship, we reflect, we think, we grow. God sees that effort, comes with the Holy Spirit and then causes growth to happen. Growth is called, the that part is called sanctification. It's a process where we cooperate with the Holy Spirit for spiritual growth. That's why some people grow faster than others. That's why there's different levels of spiritual maturity in the body of Christ. It's not all the same. So when the disciples first heard this, they were a bit confused because Jesus is talking something different than they were taught their whole lives. They were taught that the way you connect with God and grow spiritually is through Torah, through the law. They were good Jewish young men and women who were listening to him, and now Jesus is saying, no, it's about a relationship. It's about a bigger connect. And he illustrates the fact that there are some who are closer in relationship to Jesus, Then others, we saw that last week, and he does it right here. Look in verse 10. He says, When he was alone, those around him, the twelve, with the twelve, asked him about the parables. He answered them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but those outside, everything comes in parables. So that, and he quotes a scripture from Isaiah in the Old Testament, They may indeed look, yet not perceive. They may indeed listen, yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be Forgiven, Jesus is illustrating this fact that there's some who are closer on the inside and there are those that are on the outside. And he taught them differently, just like we saw last week. To those on the outside, he teaches in the parable and he lets that sit. He lets it see what happens. Then those who are close, who want to grow, he brings them and gathers them and teaches them deeper. He takes them into the deeper things of God. And in doing so in this passage, what he does is he explains the human part to those closest to him. Look at verse 13. He explains this parable. Then he said to him, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. Some are like like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown to them. And others are like the seed sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. But they have no root, and they are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Others are like seeds sown among thorns, and these, thorn, these are the ones who hear the word. But the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those like seeds sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it. Don't you want to be in that crew? Don't you want to welcome the word of God in your life? They hear the word, they welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Jesus explains why the different responses to his word. He explains to them what he's getting at when he goes deeper. And he says in verse 14, the seed is the word of God. The literal wording is the word of kingdom teaching. In Mark's day, it would be the gospel proclaiming truth that Jesus came to bring eternal life. To us, it's that, but we could also add the fullness of the entire word of God. This is the seed that we sow. This is the seed that causes spiritual growth. And the principle for us to recognize and know here is that spiritual growth comes through us interacting with God's Word. God's Word, the Bible, is absolutely paramount and essential to spiritual growth. If you take the seed out of any of this, none of it makes sense whatsoever, The seed is the constant. The seed is the main thing. For us to grow spiritually, we have to interact with God's word, whether that's reading it, which we should do consistently, or listening to it, or grabbing one verse a day and reading that verse throughout the day, praying it back to God. We have to engage scripture in order to grow spiritually. There's just no way around it. That is the key thing we see in this parable then each soil represents a group of people who respond differently to that word sown. The first group we see in verse 15. It's the people who have hearts that receive God's word, but then Satan comes and takes it away. They encounter biblical teaching, but Satan is clearly influencing their lives. In Jesus' day, he would put the people who are the Jewish uh, rulers who were constantly opposing him, constantly saying all these lies about him. He had put them in this category. They first heard God's word, but Satan was clearly influencing. Verse 16 to 17, uh, is, we see that it's a group of people who receive it with great joy, but it's very short-lived. In the ancient world, the root of a plant was a symbol of stability. In this ancient Palestinian desert, the root guaranteed existence for a plant. When Jesus was talking about these people and he referenced this, he said they have to have a root that sustains the difficult times, that sustains persecution. Because when Jesus invited his followers to walk with him through difficult things, these people who didn't have a root would often run for the hills and leave them and and not follow anymore. Jesus was saying to survive as a follower of Christ in this world, you have to have a root system that goes down. And that's true for us today as well. I love when in this passage it says, those who were shallow followers, there's three words to describe them. It says, immediately fell away. In the original, that's one Greek word. And it's a verb. And it has a three-fold picture to it that says these people were offended tripped up and fell down. They were offended, tripped up and fell down. They came into church, they got really excited, they loved the music, they loved what's happening, they loved the message, but then immediately they got offended, tripped up and fell down and they didn't stick with following Jesus. Verse 18 to 19, some were choked out. The word of God is choked out of this person's life because their hearts are becoming more and more centered upon the ways of the world Versus the ways of God. They get so caught up in the happenings of the world, in the trappings of the world, which leads to worry, leads to anxiety, leads to all these things. They get so caught up into that. They get caught up into worldly thinking. This is what you need to be whole. This is what you need to live. This is what you need to survive. And they chase after all these different things. And all of that chasing and worrying and obsessing destroys the work of God in a person's heart. God is calling us to something greater than being caught up in the ways of the world. And that greater is the final one, the great soil in verse 20. It says, the seed lands on good soil. This is the part that where the human receives the word of God in a way where they love it and they want to grow in it. And they receive it without distraction from the ways of the world and all these things. And when they do, it leads to fruitfulness. You see, spiritual growth in a Christian is a lot like a sailboat. There's the human part where we hoist the sail and we hoist the sail by reading God's word, by prayer, by worship, by being in community with one another in a life group and growing and we put this effort in and hoist the sail. But there's a mysterious God part. Where the wind of his spirit comes and catches our efforts that we put up to carry us along into deeper levels of spiritual maturity. It's a both and that takes place. So there's the human part, and then there's the God part. And Jesus talks about the God part. Let's look at verses 21 to 25. He makes a shift now, talking about the kingdom of God in our hearts and in the world. He also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be under a basket or kept under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let them listen. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, for, and more will be added to you. For whoever has more, will be, it will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus says there's a beautiful blessing that comes when you know who he is and you see the light. He talks about lamp in verse 21. I found this so interesting. In our Bibles most, all the English translations I saw except one, it says in verse 21, look at it, it says he also said to them, is a lamp. You see that a, that article a describing lamp? In the original Greek it's the. Is the lamp. I don't know why our English translations put A, but they do. But it's really written, is the lamp. God is the lamp. There's only one. There's only one who brings out light, and that's God himself. He is the lamp that is placed upon the stand. And what Jesus is saying here is, I will not be hidden. I did not come to earth to be concealed. I did not come to earth to be forgotten. As we celebrate this week, Holy Week, learning and growing what Jesus did for us on the cross, which we'll celebrate Friday and Sunday, dying and resurrecting from the dead, that we might have life, Jesus is saying, I am here to give life and light to this world. And when we allow God to shine in the places of our heart, to illuminate what's going on in our souls so that we can be transformed. When he does that, he doesn't just do a personal transformation, but his light is shined forth out into the world where the kingdom of God comes and he expands his kingdom. Look at verses 26 to 29. The kingdom of God is like this, he said, a man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises day and night. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. He goes back to the seed analogy, but now he's not talking soils. What he's talking about is the mystery of the kingdom of God and how that's a process. He's talking about when you hoist the sails, then the God part comes in, the Holy Spirit comes in this kingdom of God, establishing in your heart and in the world is this mysterious thing that God does. And it's a process. It's like watching grass grow in our front or backyard. Have you ever sat and watched a blade of grass grow? If so, you have more time and patience than I do. I highly doubt you watched a blade of grass grow but you've seen the process because if you wait a week, two weeks, it's time to cut that grass. There's a process that happens. The kingdom of God is like that. There's this mysterious thing that happens as our hearts are transformed more into the image of Christ as we bring our efforts and the Holy Spirit meet those efforts. God does a work in the soul of his followers as we submit to his word. Look at verses 30 and 32. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all seeds on the ground. And then when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the other garden plants and produces large branches so the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. When put in the ground, this very, very tiny seed becomes a bush, then becomes a tree, then houses the birds of the air as they build nests in this tree. This kingdom of God in our hearts is similar. God uses very tiny things. Words from his, the Bible. Moments in his presence. Acts of love from the people of God to us. And these tiny things as we build on that and submit our hearts to it. Grow the kingdom of God in us and the kingdom of God through us. When he does that, two things happen. First of all, he creates within our hearts a fruitful place where we humbly receive God's word by obeying it and following what it says. And then he uses that to expand the kingdom of God through us as we grow spiritually. God builds his kingdom in our hearts by mysteriously taking obedience to his word, bathed in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we grow in him. Word sown, word obeyed, spirit connect, growth happens. That's what God does with his word. And when we see the word obey, we don't like obedience. It feels like a bummer. It feels like why do we have to, we have to conform ourselves in, but here's the deal. It's not hard to obey someone we truly love. It's not hard to obey somebody we truly love. When our heart knows who God is and what he has done and his purpose and plan for our lives, obedience is easy, but it's messy because there's this internal sinful nature we still carry. And there's this evil uh, regime of Satan and his demons that try to collide and pull us away from growing spiritually. And sometimes growing spiritually feels like one step forward and two step back. It'd be nice if there was a simple, easy formula that would always bear the same results, but there's not. Spiritual growth is a messy process and we keep growing kind of like this until Jesus comes back and perfects that growth in us. But in the meantime, we take steps forward. But it's messy. There's a wonderful author and theologian named Helen Shapiro who wrote this book. And this is kind of a longer story, but I think you'll relate to it. And as I close, I just want to read this to you. Because I think it gives such a great picture of what spiritual growth really is. Have you ever been to a beginner's band at school? where you seen the beginners get up there And try to do it. Yeah, some of you are nodding. Sometimes you have to suffer through that. It's an act of love, right? So listen to this. The percussionist in the back of the beginner's band is only rarely and then almost by chance hitting the snare drum on beat. But no one could miss his wide, toothy smile and pure joy he finds in hearing the drumsticks make that reverberating racket. The band members in front of him don't seem to notice or care about the lack of any consistent beat they concentrate on their own instruments. The woodwind players are seriously intent on and uh, getting recognizable notes out of their squeaky clarinets, flutes, and saxophones while trying to hear a melody somewhere nearby. The trumpets play loudly, though only occasionally producing sounds that seem to be connected to the notes on the music stand. The frustrated band director stands in front of them all, wearing the look of one who must endure to the end what cannot turn out good or even passable. He audibly hums the theme while directing large every and each beat, but no one in the beginner's band is paying any attention to him, and neither is the raptly attentive audience of parents. I'm sitting near the front My gaze is fixed on the 10-year-old in the obligatory white blouse and black skirt with her face red with the effort of playing the trumpet. Awkwardly trying to hold the trumpet up, she enters on the wrong beat with a honking sound where there is clearly meant to be a rest. Her face is a study in concentration as she tries to count out each measure and sends the occasional passing glance toward the conductor on the podium. At home, the same girl can seem irritatingly careless about living out life's details, but now I see a glimpse of the poised, knowing woman she may become, and I'm mesmerized. I've fallen in love yet again with my own child. Next to me, another mother's attention is similarly focused on just one student, though with all the students sitting close together, it's difficult to see which child is holding her gaze. But as the band finally finishes its first number, her excitement spills over to my seat as she turns to me with tears in her eyes. That's my son Derek in the back playing the snare drum. Isn't he just great? I see that she too has fallen in love with her own child. She is certain that her son stands out clearly, not just loudly, as outstanding to me as he is to her. My eyes are filled with tears as well as I whisper, pointing out the trumpeter in the fourth chair of the second row. That's my daughter, Leanna. Just look at her. The other mother hands me a tissue, and we both wipe our eyes, eagerly awaiting the next horrible number the band will play. In the matter of Christ-shaped character, we are much like the students in the beginning band. We can see the music, but actually knowing when to play, when to rest, landing on beat, and doing this alongside others in the church can seem daunting. Whether we come with a longing to hear the music above the needy sounds of our lives or in the numbing absence of any meaningful sounds, we have joined the band of faith to try to hear the tune and find the rhythm of our lives together. Some of us work so hard at our character that we miss the joy of the music. Others deal with the task of living Christ so casually that we never come to understand the music at all. Perhaps lurking behind both our hard work And our inattention, our questions we fear to voice. What if the others manage to get in tune readily, but I stay stuck in this place of discord? What if others find the rhythm and do it so well, and I am left behind? Most of us have the idea... That in this drama of the life of faith in the church, God plays the role of the surly and impatient or stoic resigned band director who is frustrated at his student's inability to make proper music or even find the beat. Sometimes we don't even begin for fear we'll play the wrong note and be silenced or made to play alone in front of everybody else. In the end, it's only the urgent need to hear some overarching melody in our life, some rhythmic beat that keeps us from putting our instrument down on the chair and walking away from the whole thing altogether. But what if God is more like the parents who sit in the audience and listen with rapt attention, their eyes focused on their own son or daughter, this holy one is watching with tears in his holy eyes, seeing not just the careful concentration, but the posture and poise and the possibility of living into another way of life, walking with his son, Jesus. Just showing up with our, inattention, our intention to play music with God is a commitment to the melody that is already placed within us by his son, Jesus Christ. Some of us look at growing spiritually. Like we are in the church in the beginner's band. And God is that frustrated, angry, out of touch band director. So trying desperately to get it all together. But what if God is not the band director, but the parent in the audience that could not be more happy, that could not be filled with more joy, whose holy eyes are filled with water, as he sees his children, though stumbling and messy in a way, trying to get to know him better so that they can love him deeper, so that they can grow greater in the knowledge of who he is. You see, when we see God as the parent and not the director, something inside our heart opens up to spiritual growth in a way that could never happen if we try to produce it by pleasing the band director. Spiritual growth is a messy process of us connecting with the love of our Heavenly Father. Spiritual growth is a messy process that requires a lot of grace. It involves our effort to tether our hearts to His by taking His word and then trusting in His power to transform us and make us new. In the journey of spiritual growth, when we fall into the arms of that parent, God himself, watching us in the audience, he takes us in our efforts and makes them grow into a person that bears fruit, that not only helps us become more like Christ, but helps us reflect Christ to a world that's desperate to know him. Let's pray this happens in our lives. Father in heaven, we thank you for your heart. And there's so much that we've collected over the years that is so inaccurate sometimes of who you really are. God, I pray that we would be a people who would grow spiritually but we'd understand our parts and your part in who you are in this process. So God, open the eyes of our hearts to know you more. Open the eyes of our hearts to know what you've done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name.